This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces, Season 15 Hall of Fame Edition. We got a big one for you today. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy, and today we're going to talk about a guy who got married 13 times and was famous for getting married all the time. Went to the Chapel of Love. Yeah, repeatedly. Goodness. Before we get into our episode today, I have this magic mirror here. I want to give a few big thanks and shout outs to our newest supporters on Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Thank you so much for joining us, Sabrina, Angie L, and Katie B. New super supporter as well, KJA. Thanks to our new supporters over there. Thanks to our existing supporters. Thanks to y'all for coming back to listen or welcome for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of trips down that aisle at the Chapel of Love. He was getting his steps in. (laughs) (laughs) If we're going to get there, Stacey, what have we got to do? Probably ought to go, go, go. Stacy, in the three and a half years that Trashy Divorces has been going, mm-hmm. you are bringing us a very special episode today. It's a, a very special episode of Trashy Divorces, yes. Double digits. Double digits. I think so far the highest count that I can remember at least is Zsa Zsa Gabor with nine. So it is today, Stacy. you're taking us to a new frontier. A new voyage. dimension. Yes. Oh, a new dimension. A new dimension. The Marrying Manville. The Marrying Manville. Alicia, as you know, we live in an era replete with people who are famous, or maybe just a little famous, for reasons that most of us can't quite figure out. They're reality TV stars, sex tape leakers, political hangers-on, people involved in high-profile courtroom dramas, and various other iterations of people who manage to scrape and climb into the public eye, and by golly, they're going to do whatever it takes to stay there. Well, it turns out, this is in no way a new phenomenon. (laughs) It's true. Even before there was television, there was need for colorful personalities to dot the society pages. And from about the mid-1930s until his final... 13th marriage in 1960. 13. A bombastic asbestos heir became something of a pop culture phenomenon based solely on being, for lack of a better term, the marrying kind. Wow. 13. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, Tommy Manville Jr. grabbed a girl, walked her down the aisle, and for the most part, divorced them soon after. Gossip swirled, large cash payments were made, and he became famous enough to be mentioned in song, theater, and film. He's largely forgotten today, but he was a big deal. I mean, if you were alive in the 50s and 60s, I think you were well aware of the man who was famous for getting married a lot. And we here at Trashy Divorces celebrate all marital misadventures throughout the centuries. Marital misadventures was kind of his thing. Well, this guy, like my grandmothers talked about him. Mm -hmm. If you were of a certain age, you know exactly who Tommy Manville is. The marrying Manville. He was the, 
most legendary marrier mm-hmm. in the world. Probably. Probably perplexing for most of the American public at the time. <laughs> he made for something of a clownish character as his public persona, but there is reason to believe there was a method to his madness, which we will get into. But first, let's meet Tommy. Thomas Franklin Manville Jr. was born on April 9th, 1894. He's the grandson of the founder of Manville Covering Company. It manufactured construction materials. He's the son of the founder and CEO of the Johns Manville Corporation, which resulted from a merger with another construction materials manufacturer. Big deal, though, in, like, American industry. Continues to be a big deal in American industry. Let's say that Tommy had a comfortable childhood, as far as it goes, but he was a rebellious kid. He claimed to have run away from eight different schools by the time he was 12. Tommy. And that he spent some time riding the rails and living a life of adventure somewhere along the line. Interesting. As he began to move into his teen years, things at home got less and less happy. Oh, no. He and his father became mutual antagonists, and eventually his father started to routinely threaten to disinherit him. This would have been a big deal, as Thomas Sr. was worth tens of millions of dollars. And we're talking, like, 1910-ish? Yeah, this is dollars we can't comprehend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is worth noting that Johns Manville, the company, is still around today, and back in Tommy's time was definitely a shady corporate actor. In the early 20th century, construction materials and pretty much everything else that was manufactured were loaded with asbestos as an early attempt at reducing the risk of fire. However, even back in the 20s, employees who handled asbestos started getting sick with cancer and lung diseases. So the company did what companies are famous for doing. Oh, no. It issued compensation to sickened workers on the condition of signing a non-disclosure agreement so you couldn't tell anybody that your boss, that your employer made you sick. In the 40s, long after Thomas Sr. had died and Tommy Jr. was never involved with the company, as far as I can tell, Johns Manville suppressed a study that showed a clear link between asbestos exposure and cancer and persisted in not warning the public and not giving employees any kind of safety gear to protect their airways and not telling them when their physical exams showed signs of asbestosis, which is a thickening of the lungs that is not great. It's all terrible. Still, from the 60s forward, the lawsuits against Johns Manville stacked up, and in 1982, it became the largest American company ever to avail itself of the protections of U.S. bankruptcy court. This was resolved over the decade with the formation of the Manville Trust, which was the first such trust entity which pays damages to people who've been sickened, often with mesothelioma, which is a particularly nasty form of cancer, by exposure to asbestos. I wrote about this a ton back in my law blogging days. Bad stuff. It's terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. Anyway, when young Tommy was... Okay, there's a dispute here. Some sources say 17. And this is 1911, so I think the 17 figure is correct. Apparently he had to lie and say he was 19 in order to get married in the state of New York. Anyway, when young Tommy was (laughs) probably 17, he attended a performance of Every Woman at the Lyric Theater the night of June 1st, 1911. His mother asked him to ferry a message to friends in a neighboring box. Among the neighbors was 23-year-old Florence Huber, a showgirl 
that it was love at first sight for <gasps> both. I think she was a Zigfield Follies girl. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Up your alley. They married at City Hall on June 8th, 1911. Seven A week days, later? Seven <gasps> days later. And again... But he's 17. He's, it's probably... Anyway. His father had sailed to Europe because somebody told him Tommy had gone to Europe to find a bride. And, you know, Papa was not going to let his son marry without input. So... He but was, Tommy's still hiding out in the city, already getting married, and his hide, hiding, dad hiding out, going to the theater with his mother. Yes. Oh my! I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how all this works out. So he was abroad when he learned that his son had, in fact, married, <laughs> but not on the continent of Europe. Uh, and so he had to sail home, sending a message ahead that once he was back in New York, he would be annulling his son's marriage. Tommy was having none of it, and he and his new bride crossed over into New Jersey for a second ceremony and then headed to Baltimore, Maryland, hoping for a third. He told his dad that if he had to, he'd marry Francis in all 46 states. At 46 the time. states. <laughs> Take that, tyrant! I'll marry you every day, Florence. In every state. Wow, all the 46 of them. Tiny little union. This is from a New York Times piece about them on December 30th, 1913. Thank God for the New York Times archives. The father arrived in New York some days later in an irate state of mind. Oh, I bet. Father and son met at the Manville home at 322 Fifth Avenue, and the father issued his ultimatum. The bridegroom must go to work at whatever work could be found for him. No mention was made of an annulment of the marriage, but the asbestos manufacturer did not enthuse over his chorus girl daughter-in-law. The youthful husband was somewhat perplexed as to how he and his wife were going to live on the salary from the job his father offered him, but he resolved at all events to stick by his bride. She, too, seemed very happy and cooked and washed and sewed for him and said that she was happier than she ever had been before. Money is all very well, she said. But we're going to show Mr. Manville's father that it isn't everything, and someday he may see how stupid he has been to oppose our marriage. You're never going to guess what the title of this 1913 article is. It is called, Manville Romance Comes to an End. (gasps) Ex-showgirl wife of wealthy asbestos man's son sues for separation. She says he deserted her. What, one and a half years later? Yeah, Tommy's Wikipedia page says they separated in 1917 and that the divorce became final in 22, which other sources validate the 22 figure. So it's possible they reconciled for a while after this, or it's possible that they just... That a year and a half later, they're making headlines and on the outs. Yeah, and then just lived apart for most of a decade until, you know, one of them met someone else they wanted to marry. Anyway... I did find a New York Supreme Court case from 1930, which was an appeal of a lawsuit that Florence had filed earlier that year uh, as Florence Manville Reed, so she had remarried. She was suing Tommy for $45,000 based on the idea that the 1922 divorce agreement stipulated that Tommy would pay her $15,000 a year for the rest of her life but that he stopped paying in 1925. And two things happened in 1925 that may have changed the situation. Anyway, I'm not sure how the appeal went, but apparently Florence had remarried by then and had lost the original divorce decree. Oh, no. Right. So her grounds were a little shaky. 
And Florence, at least from my fairly cursory research, then is lost to history. I, I do not know what the rest of her life looked like. In September 1925, a cheeky Tommy again walked down the aisle, this time with his father's secretary. Excuse me? Yeah. <sighs> Lois Arlene McCoyne was 22 years old, a Kansas girl by birth. Uncharacteristically, Thomas Sr. approved of this one, being fond of Lois, and perhaps hoping his boy was finally ready to really settle down. It did not turn out that way, as you've probably guessed, but Thomas Sr. didn't live to learn the rest. He died a month after their wedding. Oh, my. Tommy, being Tommy, deserted Lois a year later, paying her $19,000 a year in alimony until her untimely death in 1929. I don't know what her cause of death was. So this $19,000 a year figure was not a burden for Tommy. Estimates are all over the place, but he received either 10 million, 20 million, or 50 million from his father's estate. Although I believe the bank that his dad had been a director of, as well as running Johns Manville, was the executor of the estate. And there's reason to think there may have been some strings attached to this inheritance and some structure. Yeah, I think it was held in trust at Mostly the bank. Trust, and so yeah. he probably was getting a substantial allowance and that's how rich people keep their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. And also, have you met my son? Yeah, right. No, in fact, we have not yet really met Tommy Manville Jr. What happens next? So Tommy was certainly not hurting for cash, and he spent the rest of the 20s styling himself as Broadway's perfect playboy <laughs> and making the absolute most of Manhattan's hopping jazz age social scene. He told everyone he met that he was a retired businessman. Which oh, really? Certainly a charitable assessment who whiled away the hours looking after his investments. Oh, sure. He's like 32 years old or something. I mean, it's nice work if you can get it, right? But there may have been something to the idea that he was closely monitoring his investments because when the market crashed in 1929 and the Great Depression kicked in, he was not apparently much affected. Like he, he didn't. He wasn't wiped out by the depression by any means. Interesting. He, he may have because your some, money's in trust. Probably. Mm-hmm. Rich people going to rich. Rich people always going to rich. So I think we're starting to see the pattern of Tommy's life. Although it would get weirder as the years went by. So let's take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about his romances and the other nine women that Tommy Manville married. So we're two down, 11 to go? Something like that, yeah. Good Lord. See you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians, Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. All right, Stacy, tell me about lucky number three. There's one way to look at it. Tommy Manville was still the marrying kind, and in 1931, he married an actress named Avon Taylor, who had also been married twice before. This one lasted all of 34 days before oh they separated, and their divorce was complete in November of 1931, same year. His chief complaint was that his new bride was a little pompous, a little too committed to the high life. So she walked away with $150,000, again, in 1931 money. So wait, she walked away with a full-on settlement, none of this per year Yeah, nonsense that the first two wives had. Yeah. All right. Get on with yourself, Avon. Tommy only dusted himself off briefly on this one, marrying... <laughs> oh, God. Marrying actress Marcel Edwards in 1933. This marriage actually lasted a few years, apparently just to spice things up, but in the inevitable divorce in 1937, Marcel received a $200,000 settlement. Oh, look at that. Adjusting for the cost of inflation. Sure. Oddly, just because of the relative length of the union, Tommy would later say that Marcel was his only wife who was physically abusive to him, and police were called to their mansion on at least one occasion. A publicity still on Marcel's IMDb page, yes, even actresses who weren't active after the 1930s and died in the 1970s have IMDb pages, didn't quite realize, shows her with a group of other young actresses apparently all vying for the attention of Lou Ayers, <gasps> no. who you mentioned last week as, I think, Ginger Rogers' second husband? Correct. There you go. He was a looker. They were all lookers. It was a film publicity still from 1931 or whatever. Spiderwebs. Okay, so somewhere in here, I think before he wed Marcella, he became engaged to another actress. Well, like named, you do. Yeah, named Neva Lynn. And she wrote an article about Tommy in 1933 after they had split up. I think she went out of town. Oh, and he got himself a new fiance? No, he got married. He married Marcella. <laughs> She gets back to New York, and he's like, actually, I just married this one. Anyway, she was quite charitable toward him, writing, quote, he's just a generous, overgrown kid at oh, heart. Yeah. The two of them remained friends. They double dated a few times over the years. He remained friends with a lot of his exes. 
They just kind of married on a lark and then stayed buddies. In 1941, after a 17-day-long courtship, no. a 47-year-old Tommy Manville married 22-year-old showgirl Benita Edwards. Uh, I believe this is wife number five, if you've lost count yet. He really does have a type, doesn't he? Yeah. He, yeah. This union lasted two months. <laughs> Tommy, slow down. Which is okay, because that meant Tommy was single in time for his October 1942 wedding to Billy Bowes. This is uh, Wilhelmina Connolly Bowes, a 20-year-old actress. Oh, my. I get older, they They stay stay the the same same age. age. Wow. Tommy. And to be clear, Tommy was not aging discreetly. By the time he and Billy walked down the aisle, his hair was thoroughly gray his obituary notes that he was proud of that and instructed friends on the local police force to call him Grandpappy for no. years before he died. That's a kink. Mm-hmm. There were lines already well etched into his face, and he's still scooping up 20 and 22-year-olds. Could like, it have something to do with the rich person trust? Yeah, and like the 27-room mansion on the coast. Uh, yeah, it probably has something to do with that. Anyway... When they divorced in February of 1943, he may already have moved on. A New York Daily News headline on the occasion of his seventh marriage read, (laughs) Mr. What a Manville picks seventh as sixth goes. Just numbering them now. That's just ouch. Billy was the only ex-wife who refused a cash settlement. Really? She's notable for that. Onward to wife number seven, also notable this time for its brevity. Macy Marie Ainsworth, Sonny to her friends, had been married four times or two times. Different sources say different things. By the time she walked down the aisle with Tommy in August of 1943, she was 19 years old and had a daughter, Kathleen. 19 and been married two or four times, just Mm -hmm. depending on which way the records go. The New York Times wrote this one up too. Oh, goody. Just before Justice Valente began the ceremony, Mr. Manville turned to his bride-to-be and said gallantly, This is your last chance to walk out. Do you want to run? Miss Ainsworth shook her head, and the ceremony proceeded. After the ceremony, Mrs. Manville remarked that most of the six preceding Mrs. Manville still telephoned to Tommy frequently, and she was asked whether she would put a stop to this now. Why, no, she replied. They're all good friends of his. Why should I stop it? As it turns out, she wouldn't have time to stop that or anything else. Eight hours into their marriage, Excuse me? they announced their separation. Eight hours? Eight hours. We've had a 72-hour mm-hmm. wedding extravaganza in Las Vegas. Have we ever... Like, that's a record, I eight, think, in trashy divorces. Eight's pretty short. Eight hours. The divorce was finalized in October 1943. In 1945, a British reporter was dispatched to New York to write a story on Tommy. And as you perhaps might anticipate, she soon had the honor of becoming Tommy's eighth wife. Eight is enough, Tom. She was 27. Wow. He was 51. And while they separated at some point along the way, they were still married when Georgina Campbell Manville died in a car accident in 1952 while driving to join Tommy for breakfast at his mansion in New Rochelle, New York. Very sad. July of 1952, just months after Georgina's death. Well, grieving widower. We have a little twist. He took wife number 11. Yes, we skipped numbers because it turns out that Tommy also had remarried a couple of his earlier wives somewhere along the way. It's not 
clear records are hard to come by anyway. It is head spinning. Tommy was 58 and Anita, who would go on to write a 1972 book about him called The Wives and Lives of Tommy Manville, was 29 years old. It was her first marriage. Oh, my. In August of 1952, a month into the union, <sighs> Anita traveled to Mexico to secure a quickie divorce, and Tommy ponied up $100,000 in lieu of alimony. This is just unreal. We have two left. In 1957, he married for the 12th time to his 10th wife, a 26-year-old showgirl from Texas named Patricia Gaston. Tommy told a reporter that the gossip columnists had them married before they'd even met. I read about it in the column, so I went backstage to meet her, and we had a chemical reaction, and we're married the next day. We had a chemical reaction? Chemical reaction. <laughs> oh, goodness. This one lasted two months. <laughs> like, you don't want to laugh, but you have to. Well, it's like when you make the baking powder and vinegar volcano for your fourth grade chemical science reaction. project. Chemical yeah. reaction, but it fizzles out pretty quickly. I'm just saying. Two months. His final marriage actually, you know, more or less, took. He was 66 years old in 1960 when he walked down the aisle with 19-year-old no, 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 no. German-born Christina Erdlin, who was working as a waitress at a restaurant near his mansion when they met. Of course she was. Mm-hmm. Dropped in for a BLT. Walked out with a wife. <laughs> At one point in their six-plus years together, Tommy locked Christina out of the house because he was tired of her, quote, fussing around. They were married until Tommy's death at the age of 74 in October 1967. He had had heart disease for several years and died at Doctor's Hospital. For her part, Christina remarried in 1968. This was her third marriage. She had had a, an earlier marriage, but seems to have passed away in 1971 at the age of like 32. Oh, and wow. I, I couldn't find a cause that's of death sad. for her. Yeah, yeah, extremely sad. So that's kind of Tommy Manville who like earned a Guinness World Record for the number of marriages he had engaged in. It's weird to see someone described as like the record setting marriage guy. He would communicate with his wives through public ads and newspapers. Like he would take out a full page ad in a newspaper saying, I am no longer responsible for my wife's oh. uh, debts because oh. all of her profligate spending. Do not come to me with your bills. Tom. Tom. One time he ran, a, I think, a couple of ads uh, soliciting for a new lawyer to handle all of his family disputes. Well, he probably needs a few firms <laughs> keeping everybody busy. He, you know, reporters would ask him, like, come on, Tommy, why? Why Why do you do this? And he was like, I, I couldn't compete with my father in terms of business success. So marriage is what I have. This is it. Marriage success or divorce success, mm, really? Yeah. It's a question. Um, it's thought that by the time of his death, he had spent about $1.25 million on divorce settlements. This works out to something like $10 million in today's money. But, I mean, that's just a nick in his rich people trust money. Probably. I mean, he had depleted most of his... He had no children. Do what you like. Like what you do. Yep. He became a celebrity by marrying constantly and publicizing that he was marrying, divorcing, whatever. These are literally the only reason that he was famous. He did not work. He did not 
maybe he gave to charity or something. I don't know. But like he pretty much just got married in the public eye to, you know, again, he would age and his wives tended to stay kind of the same age. So one explanation for why he may have engaged in this incredibly cavalier approach to holy matrimony is it's speculated that the trust that he lived off of Oh, had, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, had a stipulation that he would receive a $250,000 payout on the occasion of his marriage. His father wanted to, you know, congratulations, go buy yourself something nice. Not realizing that young Tommy had found a way to take advantage. So whenever he needed an infusion Extra, of cash. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yep. So there's a great clip. You actually sent me this, um, a game show from 1952 called I've Got a Secret. Oh, this is, y'all, if y'all want to fall down a rabbit hole. Yeah, Stacy, tell everybody. It really will make you giggle. Yeah, it's this grainy black and white clip. But the setup of the game is there's a panelist of four people who quiz the contestant. In this case, a young, attractive, blonde woman who is seated next to the host. Who's got a secret. She's got a secret. And so... <laughs> The way it's set up is the screen will show what her secret is. Her secret is, I'm going to marry Tommy Manville. And then these four panelists are, like, quizzing her to figure out, like, you know, is this uh, is this an athletic? Are you training for this? And, like, the audience is just rolling Rooting. with yeah. laughter because, like, it... Well, because the questions get... I mean, and they're... The panelists are asking, like, very sure. innocuous questions. Sure. Do you do this a lot? You is, know, this, like, is this an annual event? And the, they, everyone laughs and the host is like, I mean, it's not a scheduled annual event. If you want to fall down a delightful early 1950s, is mm -hmm. that it? Yeah. Rabbit hole of television. And I don't think this one ever married Tommy Manville. She did not. That's another fun thing. He did. He dated a lot of women that he didn't marry. And possibly dated a lot of women while married to other women. I'm not really sure. I mean, do you think if you're dating Tommy Manville on the first date, there's probably a good chance you're going to be married by the end of it? I I don't know. The The list of women he did not marry. <laughs> it's got to be longer he dated, than I mean, it was. It, it's not a short list. Um, I think he, he was just a party guy. And he was probably... So, okay, he's he's got this, like giant mansion with a beautiful view and all that stuff. But he was also a little paranoid and he had a lot of security features. He had security guards. He had, which was, this was weird for its time. He had telephones and radios in every room huh. of the property. He would occasionally be seen like walking around with a, a gun strapped on each hip. Sure. So a little, like, I feel like he socialized. Some paranoid features. Yeah, I think he socialized a lot in his home, but perhaps because there was so much coming and going, he had concerns about the security of the estate. There was a robbery. He was burgled uh, shortly before he died. His then final wife was with him at the hospital when it happened. And so I guess he did have reason to... Be. I guess if you're super famous for being a playboy, you probably have reason to worry, but... Anyway, women would solicit him for marriage by mail. Just send him, Tommy, marry me. Here's a picture. God knows what that was like, but apparently he really enjoyed that. Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet. That is the marrying kind. 
Tommy Manville, the marrying Manville. Going to the chapel of love. Jeez. Do you have a number of trash cans for this bloke? There are so many numbers I could choose here. It's hard to, it's hard to pick. Let's go with uh, 250,000 trash cans for the alleged payout that he was to receive on the occasion of his one marriage, (laughs) which he managed to turn into a small fortune. Somebody didn't read that trust very carefully. (laughs) Let's clarify that rule. I mean, you assume like the eight hour marriage and the, you know, the month long and the two month long, you assume... That he, he was saying to some beautiful young actress, like, hey, I'm a little hard up for cash right now. If you marry me, I'll give I, you $50,000, $100,000. Sure, I get a quarter mil. That's what I'll give you. Yeah. We'll call it even. I mean, I can see that being a thing that was happening. What but a I, ride. I think he was just a fun, bon vivant party guy who, I, I don't know, it's odd personality. Put me in coach. I'm ready to play. Double digits. Welcome, yeah. Tommy Manville. Tommy to Manville. The super exclusive. Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. Yup. Wow. I mean, sitting atop the Pantheon at the moment. <laughs> well done, Stacy. Thank you. Trash Pandas, thanks so much for tuning in today to this double digit episode of Trashy Divorces. We're going to be back on Wednesday mm-hmm. with a brand new Trashy Breakup. In the meantime, patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Always kicking over there with ad-free episodes, dumpster dives, spiderwebs. You can catch some free episodes at bit.ly slash trash candy yep. as well. And if you liked today's episode, it's a good time to mention for any of my trash pandas out there who like old Hollywood this is definitely the time to tune in to my little side podcast project, Done and Done, D-O-N-E and D-U-N-N-E. If you aren't already, there's good stuff happening over there that connects to all of this. You may find it fairly enjoyable. Friends, until Wednesday, keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Very trashy. Maybe not 13 marriages trashy, but like... Maybe not as best as trashy. Maybe not as best as trashy, yeah. Big love, everybody. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. 
Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.